Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the reopening after the coronavirus and how it's being covered in the press, specifically the conservative media. There's now a growing war brewing around when the country should reopen, how the country should reopen, who should we trust in terms of guidance around this. And like a lot of things over the last few years, it's turned into kind of a war between sides and everybody is digging in and that's sort of where we are. And not it's not a good look for public health and it's not entirely a good look for journalism. I'm really happy to be joined today by Charlie Sykes, who is editor-at-large at The Bulwark and a longtime observer of conservative media and conservative thought. Charlie, welcome. Good to be back. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. So I find this whole business of how the reopening of the country and even the whether or not we're listening to public health officials, how it's become another badge in this kind of identity war to be really sort yeah. of concerning. And I, and I really was bummed out this week when there was this whole thing with Mike Pence at the Mayo Clinic not wearing yes. a face mask. And, and there was some, you know, a certain part of the country that's like, yeah, why should he have to wear a face mask? And the other part is like, are you kidding me? He's not wearing a face mask. And I was like, okay, here we go. Now face masks are part of, of the kind of yes. signaling process. What did you make of that episode? Well, exactly that. Um, and, and, you know, as, as you point out, this does feel like it's a culmination of all of the tribalism and the creation of the alternative reality silos. And it's all, all brought us to this, this moment where rather than pulling together and having a sense of, of national purpose, uh, we do have, you know, we do have this signaling. And yes, uh, that was the significance of it, right? Um, and I remember, you know, talking to somebody who was saying, well, that's no big deal. Who cares? And I said, yes, but what he's doing is he is sending this signal that if you are on team, if you're on team red, if you're on team Trump, um, you don't wear the mask. You don't have to wear the mask. And you multiply that across all of the different reactions that we're getting where you have red versus blue hat responses to all of this and in many ways this is uh, this is one of the worst case scenarios um and and i have to tell you i i find it to be extraordinarily alarming yeah what help i mean you wrote a book about how the right lost its mind which obviously sort of <laughs> tells yeah. us where you come down on, or come into this but i mean part of me thinks that the media portrayal of people who are eager to open the country and who think that we've gone way too far in terms of the closing of the country, given, you know, especially if you live in a part of, of the U.S. that's fairly, that's more remote or where there's fewer people. I mean, I, I do think that there is a legitimate case to be made that there are some parts of the country that should be reopened and that we shouldn't dismiss it out of hand. Right. Um, so just I mean, so part of me thinks that that there is a oversimplification of this on, on the part of the of the of the sort of mainstream press that like but like taking a blanket approach and saying everybody who wants to reopen the country is is immune to science or is just a trump toady that that's not right right no 
No, you're absolutely right. There's a legitimate case to be made. There are legitimate issues about civil liberties and civil rights. There's a legitimate issue about whether or not many of these rules go too far or whether or not um, they're applied in a, in a fair and even-handed way. Um, it's also legitimate to say, do you, do you treat a rural county with no cases the same as New York? So yes, there is a debate. But in order to have the kind of, of, of intelligent, nuanced debate that I think we needed a moment like this and that we need when we're transitioning, you also need to live in the same moral and information universe. You need to have the same universe of reality. And that's part of the problem that I think feeds the distrust, that it, that it does become this us versus them. And so that, and, and this is why this, the, the polarization feeds more polarization, because we do tend to stereotype the people on the other side. I know a lot of people who are very, very concerned that we've gone too far in some of the shutdowns, yeah. um, but but on the other hand, there are those uh, out there, and particularly this is being pushed by the conservative media, who um, conflate that with thinking that the shutdown itself has been completely unnecessary, that there's no relationship between that there that I'm sorry that that the coronavirus is is being overhyped. Um, and that there's no reason to take the kind of precautions that I think have brought us to where we are right now. So it's like, how do you how do you separate that out, and and how do you have a conversation with b between groups that may have their uh, completely different sets of, of facts and a different and, and a different worldview? So to run counter to everything you just said, could we just oversimplify this just to begin to understand it? So let's say there's a part of the of the press that's that's basically like science is sacrosanct, and we need. I mean, so and every, you know, we need to go out of our way to believe to be very careful in believing the worst case scenarios and responding to the worst case scenarios. So. Um, you know, we, we need to do everything we need to do out of an abundance of caution, right? And we need Correct. to sort of like, the whole country needs to respond in kind. That's on the one hand. On the other hand is, we don't believe these people at all. We think that this is a plot actually to destabilize the president and to hurt his reelection chances. And nothing they say is true. So those are the two sort of poles. What... What is, I mean, I assume that a lot of the people who are, who are sort of pushing for the reopening of the country more aggressively don't fall in that most extreme poll, that they fall somewhere in a grayer area. Um, but what are the narratives that they're sort of responding to? What, what, what is yeah. sort of in the back of their head? I mean, for example, and, and I throw this out not to be provocative and to sort of plant this idea, but my own view is, I mean, how much does racism, for instance, play a part in this? Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's, right. can, let us let me set that one aside for a moment because I think that's a huge factor, and and I want to spend a little bit of time on that. Okay. But the 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 narratives that you see on the part of some people on the right um, sometimes are a little bit confused. I mean, yes, you do have this attack on expertise, this contempt for science, which has been building for a long time, and and I and I think that you are seeing this the the willingness to sort of you know roll your eyes or shrug your shoulders at things that uh, the the scientific community has to say. You know, that's a very real phenomenon. Also, um, you do have this, uh, this, this excessively partisan, tribal, almost cultish 
uh, obsession with uh, not hurting Donald Trump's reelection campaign. And so the, one of the through lines of, of a lot of the conservative media is whatever hurts Trump is you no know, must be rejected. Whatever helps Trump must be must be embraced. So that's almost like they're, and they're and they're sort of parallel to one another. Um, and so I think you're seeing a lot of that. And we're and one of the disturbing things that that I'm watching developing is is the role of the anti-vaxxers who have always been very much fringe, even on the right. Uh, now playing a more and more significant role. But then again, there's a certain inevitability once you begin rejecting science, once you begin having this paranoid view of what the medical community is advocating for, um, why not then, you know, make common cause with the anti-vaxxers? But and also, what, what, yeah, yeah. because sure. and there is a lot to talk about here, but um, what is the root of that anti-science uh, strain among these conservative voters where, where does it where does it come from you know i wish i could i could i wish i could put my finger on one thing i think that it has been developing for a long time um a a a, a certain anti anti-intellectualism uh-huh. uh, anti-elitism i think the debate over global warming um climate change has politicized this um so that you've had years and years and years of people saying, don't believe the scientists. It's really part of a a, a plot to expand government. Uh, mm-hmm. So therefore, you ought to be suspicious of all of that. Uh, so, you know, and let's be honest about it. I mean, I think there's also sort of been, I wrote a book about this, the dumbing down of America. The There's a certain amount of scientific illiteracy. There's a certain amount of civic illiteracy. And I think yeah. it's very naive for us to think that we could, that we could have dumbed down our, uh, our citizenry to the extent they did without having real consequences. But can I answer one other thing, though? When, when you talk about the two poles, the belief in science and the not belief in science, because this yeah. is, as you point out, this is more nuanced. Science is never about dogmatism. It's always about skepticism. Yeah. So let's rem- remember this, that in fact, even in the coronavirus, I don't think that the you know an appropriate pro-science position is to believe everything the scientists say all the time without wavering because they have been wrong and they change their minds. Are we supposed to use masks? Are we not supposed to use masks? Um, What is the answer? So the the question is, do you bring to it a skeptical um, approach, but also one that respects the facts that that we're going to answer these questions through facts and reason rather than putting them through some sort of a, you know, tribal or partisan lens? No, and I think that so, so that what you have is you have some of the scientific skeptics who will seize upon every time a scientist is wrong to say, see, therefore, all science is invalid, which, of course, is exactly yeah. the wrong response. Yeah. No. And I think the, the effect of that is that it drives the other side into its own dogma where you yes. know, you're, you're sort of forced to believe everything science says because the other side is so is so wrong. But I mean, right. it is, I mean, this, again, this is a, maybe the subject of a bigger uh, thing, but like. I do find this this whole trajectory really interesting. I mean, for some reason, I've been looking a lot at you know some of the you know the space mission stuff and the NASA stuff, and um, I mean that was like a moment where science was celebrated as hopeful and 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 universal, right? And then so in the past, whatever half century since then, we've just sort of all all that's been thrown out the window. 
it feels like that. Um, although I, I think it's selective, um, and and that's why I was I was hesitant to come up with with one answer for where this this came from. Um, yeah. Because of course, you know, I grew up during the era of the of the of the space program, and one of the greatest moments of of American achievement. And I think that even some of the people that we're talking about here would celebrate that as a great moment oh. of, of 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 achievement. The question is, you know, does it become um, you know, are there certain kinds of science that they're willing to reject? Yeah. All right. So we were talking about narratives on the right. Um, we talked about this anti-expertise, anti-science thing. What else? Well, um, you know, once once you see that that particularly on the on the on the conservative media, and I think I think there's a tendency to focus on Fox News. But I would I would you know warn people off that it's not just Fox News that there is an entire ecosystem uh, on on the right, lots of different publications, including quote unquote respectable publications that have uh, embraced conspiracy theories uh, or uh, attacked the science. That you you have even even you have folks. Uh, I mean, you know the Hoover institutions. You know Richard Epstein. You know, uh, arguing that the the death toll would top off at just five hundred, or the Manhattan Institute's Heather McDonald you know, arguing that this was all fear mongering, that it wasn't necessary. Mm -hmm. So, um, you do have a much wider um, a wider footprint for all of this, and again, the through line tends to be partisanship, and with the, this is the real tragedy about it is that. There has been a tradition in this country that when there's a national emergency or a tragedy, that we pull together at least temporarily to make common cause. And that's one of the things that is not happening here. And it, but, but what complicates it, of course, is that Donald Trump himself will change the signal sometimes hour by hour, day by day. But if you watch very carefully conservative media, you'll watch their ability to change, to go from saying that, you know, no, it's absolutely nothing to, yes, it's really serious and only he can solve it to, no, it wasn't that serious and we need to reopen the economy. Now, you raised the issue of, of race. L let, let me look at this at, at a, in a slightly different way. One of the things that's driving a lot of the reaction is the sense that this is something that's happening to other people, not to us. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to avoid. And the other people is often described in terms of, well, it's happening in big cities. It's happening in New York or it's happening mm -hmm. in Atlanta or Chicago or Detroit. It's mm -hmm. not happening where I live. Now, that's yeah. not overtly racist. But is, as you look at. But isn't it, article, isn't it when you say when you say this is an urban problem? Yeah. Don't don't doesn't don't don't we know what that means? Yes. Well, that's what I was getting to. I mean, that's that at a certain point, it, particularly when you see the numbers, the impact of this on uh, on on African Americans, on on Hispanic Americans, it is breathtaking. This yeah. is this really is one of those moments where all of our inequalities are kind of exposed in this rather shocking, dramatic way. Yeah. I haven't seen much when I say overt, I mean, it's happening to black people, not to white people. But yes, the urban thing um, clearly is one of those things where you turn around and go, okay, are you really saying that this is unfair because it's only affecting people in certain zip codes, not in your zip code, which is all white? 
And I think you saw some of this uh, in in some of the some of the protests. And certainly I was hearing echoes of this uh, here in my home state of Wisconsin. Yeah. And then you've seen in the same vein, you know, examination of the reopening and whether because, you know, a lot of the reopening, you know, you know, we, you know, Trump is saying, like, we have to keep the um, uh, the meat manufacturing processing plants open. That's really important. And, and the people who are affected by that are not, you know, are, you know, those are those are people of color and those are people who are who are sort of in other marginalized communities. I have to say that that one story has rattled me quite a bit because it does feel like we're living in an Upton Sinclair novel. Mm-hmm. Or, or or something Dickensian here, but also you you think about what was the what was the theme of most of those protests that you saw around the country about opening up the country? It was don't tread on me, right? It was freedom. Government should not tell me what to do, mm-hmm. right? That was the whole free. And then the then the president turns around and orders the meatpacking firms to stay open which seems to imply therefore that they should compel the workers to go into these into these situations even if they are unsafe and then we have the governor of Iowa saying yes if we reopen and you refuse to go back to work you will not be eligible for unemployment so you you have the the, the real contrast are, are is the objection about you know personal freedom and liberty then why then the embrace of the gov- of of the of the federal government the president who's essentially ordering this population of workers essentially conscripting them to risk their lives and as you point out it's hard not to think about that uh hard not to think that you're dealing with low income a primarily minority population who are now going to be compelled by the government to do something that may put their lives and the lives of their family at risk. It's yeah. really kind of an appalling moment. Yeah. So let's let's think about these the conservative media that has been, you know, that was initially dubious about uh, whether the coronavirus was even a thing, whether it was just as, you know, it's just it's just the flu or maybe not even as bad as the flu. And as you point out, they sort of shifted their stance to be like, yes, it's bad, but Trump's on top of it. I noticed today the new line is we're going to go after China. Uh, we're going to punish them somehow for what they've done. Is there going to be any price to pay for all that among viewers in terms of the ratings or in their credibility? Or do you think it's going to go down as yet another battle in this war and we're going to move on? Well, we've asked ourselves that question for years now, and before I answer that, the the the, the, the blaming it on China is going to be a huge theme in the conservative media, because yeah. one of the, the the sweet spot for a lot of conservative media is don't defend Trump, attack his critics. It's called anti anti Trumpism. So yeah. what you will see is a tremendous, you know, as the president melts down in these briefings, you will you've seen a rather dramatic uptick in the focus on how the media is treating Trump, what the media is doing, and then focusing on uh, external threats like the World Health Organization in China. So that's going to be something that I think uh, to, to 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 watch you because people will look at Donald Trump and they'll see these bizarre you know this bizarre behavior, injecting bleach, et cetera, and they go, well, how can anyone support that? And part of it is you just change the subject, you change the lens, you go after the critics. So will there be a price to pay? I think the answer to that is it depends what happens here. Um, because if, in fact, all of this goes south, if, in fact, you have this uh, you know, red-blue reopening 
that not only does not revive the economy, but which leads to the rebound, the, the second wave of, of this. If the numbers get much higher than are being projected right now, then I think there's going to be a huge price to be paid because there is a reality out there. And the real, if the reality is, is bad, if in fact um, you have you know folks on Fox News and the rest of the conservative media telling people, well, this is just flu, this is nothing, we should reopen, and and people die in big numbers, then yeah, there will be consequence to that. But what we've seen, I think, over the last few years though, um, has been the fact that most of the time you just move on because our news cycle moves so fast. We get on to something else. We find somebody something else to be outraged about. I think this is the potential to be very, very different because it affects everyone. Everyone is talking about it. Everyone's life is being touched by all of this. And we're going to find out if, if in October or November, um, this country still has 20% unemployment and the reopening has caused a resurgence of the, of the pandemic, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of anger. And I think a lot of that anger is going to, not all of it, but some of it is going to be focused on the people who who lied to you. I mean, look, if you spent your entire life listening to Rush Limbaugh and your, your grandpa has listened to Rush Limbaugh and he's been telling you this is not the flu, this is no big deal, we should, this is all a plot to get Trump, and your grandpa dies because he was list, because he he followed Rush Limbaugh's advice, that's going to have an effect. That has to have an effect. Yeah. Well, that's where we get to China, and that's where they say, "Well, well, it was going to be fine, but then China." I don't know. I don't know what the argument is, but um, well, that is the yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and that and that's a, and that's a and believe it or not, that's quite effective in yeah. in a in a in on on the right. So I, I'm not I'm not downplaying the the success of finding someone else to blame. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that you're such a compelling person to talk to about this is that you went through your own sort of journey of, 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 you know, seeing what sort of this era of conservatism was about, and then, you know, sort of aggressively warning people against the, the world that we were heading into. And so you've sort of watched this whole thing as somebody who, who had been part of a community and then, and then moved away from it. I'm just wondering, yeah. I'm just wondering, like, what your own level of, I mean, you know, it's one thing to be debating of people kneeling at, at football games or, or, or whatever. The other sort of, in, you know, some of them really important and critical things. Other, others were, were not. But this is an entirely different magnitude of yes. thing where you have tens of thousands of Americans dying. What is your own level of frustration or even sort of dejection about the fact that here we are in a pandemic and this insane battle is still going on. Well, I, I've gone past frustration um, to dejection. Now I'm sort of horror. <laughs> it does feel like we're living in this bizarre simulation because I, I do, I do know where some of, you know, where this came from. I used to be part of the conservative media, N not these guys, but I, you know, and this is when, you, you know, I've talked about this before where you look around and you go, okay, was I part of this? Did I contribute to this in some way when we said certain things? But uh, things have gotten so far off, uh, you know, off, off the track. I never imagined that there would be this level of dishonesty. I never imagined that there would be this level of, of, uh, of anti-science rhetoric when it came down to human life, this kind of recklessness. 
And I never really thought, and people can like throw things at me now listening to this, but you know, I, I, I never, I didn't see the cult of personality coming. I didn't see that. I, but this is where I was wrong. I really did think that uh, our politics was, it was tough. It was hardball, but that it was ultimately about ideas and about principles. And, and that we really did care about, you know, the public good. I mean, we're always talking about how we want to conserve good things in this country. And yet now to realize that, that a lot of the right was not about ideas or about principles. It's just simply about tribal identity. And it's, it's almost like we are in this simulation where it keeps saying, well, you've gone this far. What if we asked you to do this? What if we did this? Would you abandon this? Would, would pro-lifers go out and say, you know what? Um, getting your hair cut is more important than protecting grandma's life. Um, would you actually go out and say, well, okay, you know, life is more than just simply human life. Sometimes we need to prioritize the economy over human life, even if that means hundreds of thousands of people dying. This is a movement that used to characterize itself as pro-life. And so we're kind of seeing in this bizarro sort of way, this transformation in, 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 in this, during this gruesome period. So yeah, this does feel like a horror show to me. I'll be honest with you. And who would have thought that the person that this group would rally around and the, the cult of personality would build around Donald Trump. I mean, that's, to me, that's the part of it that like, what? That's the part of it that seems so absurd. Well, it, you know, it seems absurd to you, right? Well, it seems way more absurd absurd to me, especially because I think uh, I was trying to think, you know, how long I've been you know, railing about all of this. And I think we're on five years. And um, when he came down, it's been five, more than about five years now, right? Since he came down that golden escalator yeah. and, announced, and announced for president. And virtually every Republican in the country rolled their eyes and they thought it was a joke. And that they would never go along. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Paul Ryan was the future of the Republican Party. So but it did you, is. Did you see it? Did you say, oh, this is the guy? This no. is the guy? No. Oh, absolutely not. And I was just as surprised as, as anyone else. But, but I think also, in fairness, you have to say that, that to get to this moment, Donald Trump did not create this. There, no. there had to be, there had to be a pre, dysfunction had to be a pre-existing condition. I mean, he he is certainly a symptom. I mean, he's look, he's done a lot of damage. Uh, there's no question about it. I think the way he's coarsened our politics, what he has done to the Republican Party. But the Republican Party did this to itself. And there had to be there had to be this predicate laid there for people to be willing to not just willing to, to follow Donald Trump wherever he led, but also to reject the science and to embrace policies that actually would put their neighbors and their communities at this kind of risk. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Charlie, it's so good to talk to you again. It's always good to talk with you. Thank you I so much. I wish I had more definitive answers. No, it's great. You can read Charlie Sykes on The Bulwark and listen to his own podcast. And you can follow what we're doing at cjr.org or through our daily newsletter, The Media Today. Thanks for listening. See you next week. 